Hooper now offloads. Oh, so close, still short. Blaubanga. There he is! He's over! Hello and welcome back to the Pick and Drive Rugby Podcast. We are back for Season 2. It's uh, it's only been a few weeks, really, since we've been away. It feels like only a very short time, but uh, we're back. And we've got some really exciting stuff for this year that I'm really looking forward to uh, to getting into and to chatting about. So, um, Ando, my co-host, you're back again for another season. How are you? Couldn't keep me away. I am brilliant. I've had a fantastic holiday break, spending some time up in northern New South Wales, and I'm back, ready to go. I'm so super excited about the next few weeks. Um, we're gonna. Well, I'll just say it now. We're gonna be doing a preview of the upcoming Super Rugby AU season, and we have got some really big player names lined up to join us from each of the teams for each of the episodes. So we won't spoil things yet. We're gonna do little teasers on social media before each yeah. of the. Uh, pods comes out but super excited really really cool to see where things are going in season two why don't you chat about other things that we're going to be doing in this season mate yeah perfect so we have uh we're going to be continuing what we're doing last year we're going to be regular we're going to be family friendly and we're going to be clean we want you all to get involved as much as possible we're going to have a few different opportunities for fan engagement this year so one of the forms of that is we will start our own tipping comp um going forward for 2021 at this stage we're thinking of just covering super rugby au we may look at doing super um rugby Aotearoa at some point if we haven't quite discussed that at this point, we nah, are. Let's do, it. let's do it. Come on. We're going to do both then. All right. Yep. So we will put some information up on our social media channels. If you want to get involved, definitely get in there. The plan will be that we will like similar to last year. We will do our picks and predictions for the coming week at the end of the episode. And then they will go up live and then whoever is the closest and the platform that we choose to use rewards one player who wins the round with the most amounts of points. They generally get something called a yellow cap. If you win that, you will get a shout out on the pod, which is awesome. And we will see how things go. We may even have the opportunity for prizes later on in the season. We yeah. Keep- we've got some pretty cool things to keep an eye out. Some, We've had some people contact us and um, there might be some offers in the works coming up. So that's really exciting. Now, Mitch mentioned the social media. Why don't I just quickly run through them? Instagram, hashtag pick underscore drive underscore rugby. Facebook at the pick and drive rugby podcast. And then Twitter at pick underscore drive rugby. Mitch, what are we doing tonight? All right. We have a, this is a new segment, basically, this this tonight um it's been an off season of a lot of ups and downs a lot of new things have come out so we're actually getting joined by brett mckay who has been on the pod last season brett mckay how McKay, dare I you did it say wrong. that i he knew i was gonna do it will wrong castigate you for that brett mckay um and he is a very well-known sports journalist works for the abc has written on the raw for a very very long time used to co-host the cheap seats podcast um he's been on a pod before and he is kind enough to come back on tonight basically just to run through some of the hot goss over the last few weeks and to give us his thoughts about uh the one to five of how super rugby is going to finish making bold predictions in january about what's going to be happening in the next few months so very keen and excited to have brett McKay on board. Brett McKay. Lovely. Brett McKay. Brett McKay. <laughs> Brett McKay. We'll just keep saying it. We'll, the amount of times we say his name will cover up the fact that we got it, I got it wrong. 
Exciting. Exciting. Um, cool. Anything else we want to touch on before we jump straight into it? I don't think so. So this episode might be a little bit shorter than some of the other ones we've done, but in a few weeks, in a f- well, next week, we will have our first preview for Super Rugby AU round of the whole tournament, really. So I'm not sure which team we're going to put out first this year. We'll, if we're we'll going to go, that. we'll keep that uh, under wraps for now. We will, but definitely keep a, a lookout for our social media. We're going to do some interesting things there in the coming weeks. So get involved, get in touch, and um, give us a like. Let's go. Let's jump into it. All right. And we are moving now into our spicy news. And we've got a few things to be talking about, some of which is fresh, hot off the press. And other stuff is being over the Christmas period when everyone's had a bit of downtime and a lot of turkey in their bellies. So one of the really interesting talking points is the fact that we have soon to have a new CEO for Rugby Australia. Andy Marinos, the Sansa chief executive, is replacing Rob Clark very soon. And this is pretty big news. Um, I have thought that Rob Clark has been doing a really, really good job in the role as the interim CEO. And there's he's coming in at a very tumultuous time and has really basically done a good job at stabilizing everything and just charting us a course through the COVID impacted season and trying to figure out what the heck is going on with this year, last year and this year. So I'm kind of sad to see him go. Andy Marinos, not so sure about him. Brett, what was your reaction to this news? Um, I, I wasn't surprised um, and I'm looking forward to Andy Marinos proving me wrong um, because I thought yeah. as, a, as a head of Sansa, he was basically invisible. We, yeah. we heard, yep. heard from him publicly. It felt like annually. I'm sure it was more regularly than once a year, but it felt like it, was, it, it wasn't very often at all. Um, and, and, and think of everything that's gone down at the Sansa level over the last couple of years. And I just don't think that's good enough. At the same time, I can understand that being the head of a governing body that literally is acting on the impulses and self-interest of four um, national governing bodies in their own yep. right is not going to be an easy gig. Um, he does bring plenty of experience with him from South Africa. He headed up rugby in Wales. Um, so he's certainly got experience on the international stage and that will be a good thing for this role. He might even, um, he might even assist Australia's standing at the international table um, and that can only be a good thing as well. So, um, so yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm prepared to be open-minded about Eddie Marinos. I, I am genuinely looking forward to, to him proving me wrong because, um, yeah, as a as a Sansar boss, it just it was hard to enthuse about how the game was being run. And is that reading between the lines a bit? Basically, saying he was so bad in the Sansar role, you're just hoping that the only way he can possibly go is up. <laughs> no, 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 not not necessarily that, but just, just that um, because Sansar is such a, a a dog's breakfast of a governing body, um, that it's just it's it it has felt like particularly over the last couple of years with everything that has gone down that. Uh, that they're really, it almost feels like like we're, we're watching rugby being played, that, you know, the super, super rugby and the rugby championship and all that, in spite of all the politics going on in the background. Yep. Because, and I've said it numerous times, um, no one does self-interest like rugby um, on, and that's at every level of the game, for, for, by, by the way. So that's certainly been the case in Sansa. Everyone wants to do what's good for the game, but only if it's really good for their particular patch. And that's yep. been the biggest issue that I think has held um, Sansar as a governing body, as, as an organisation back. 
I think we saw that real initially when New Zealand proposed their super rugby competition and invited us into their competition. A really oh, good yeah. example of that self-interest. Exactly right. And, and even when we saw, we saw it in things like, you know, the rugby championship was agreed to, it was going to be played in Australia. It was going to be played between this date and this date. And not 10 minutes later, the chairman of New Zealand <laughs> rugby, Brent Impey, who is also the chairman of Sanzar, yep. puts out a separate release saying, oh, hang on, no, we haven't agreed to that. Sansar is literally governed by consensus. If it's if it's either it's either all all in or no, nothing happens. So it was quite extraordinary the way things have happened. And like I say, it, it honestly feels like rugby has been played despite the way the game has been run. Well, with those with those thoughts, Mitch, how did you respond to Andy Marinos's appointment? Yeah, look, initially I wasn't really sure what to think. Um, for me, it sort of came out of the blue. I didn't really, it was never publicized as who was the potential candidates for the role. And when he came out, I didn't really realize that he was running for it. Um, but I mean, there's two ways to look at it. Like Brett was saying, he hasn't had a whole lot of uh, ability to sort of show his skills in the, in the role at Sansa because he can only put so much forward and it, it comes down to what the other the, the nations, the participating nations want to agree to. So we haven't really seen him as a kind of a real proper CEO guiding the ship because it's kind of undercut him um, in that position. So we haven't seen him do that. And he does have the experience across the board. He's played rugby league in Australia. So he knows the, the landscape for that sort of um, area of the game. He's played in Wales. He's, he's done, he's been the player and an administrator. So he's done both sides. So I'm hoping that he knows enough to be able to bring um, a new approach to the CEO of Rugby Australia. Um, he will also bring a good sort of book of contacts with him as well from his role in Sansa, which I yep. think can help. But yeah, I, I don't know. I'm not sure just yet. Initially, I'm a little bit skeptical of his appointment. I do think that Rob Clark has been absolutely brilliant. It's just done so much uh, good for the game in the short time that he's been there. And he's built on... The, the strong foundation that Raylene Castle left. I, I just really hope that um, Marinos can take this good base and build on it going into the future. Within the just up just to pick up on something you said there, Mitch. Um, Andy Marinos' name was one of the very first that I heard mentioned. Um, okay. As soon as as soon as I heard his name mentioned, I thought he's absolutely got this because right. the and I think i'm trying to think who well uh, todd greenberg's name was was thrown yep. up um, yep. and i think there might have even been uh an ex-cricket australia head not james sutherland but, <laughs> but, but 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 someone reasonably high up in cricket australia was mentioned as well but of those oh yeah of those couple of names that were reasonably well known Andy marinos was by far and away the best candidate yeah um so yeah that was no surprise to me at all when he when he did come through Hamish McLennan in his announcement said that uh, Andy has an exciting vision for rugby in Australia and knows what needs to be done to continue the code success into 2021 and beyond. And that's a lovely statement. And I really want to see some, some truth or some, some substance to that. And it speaks to what you were saying before, Brett, about just the invisibility of Marinos as the Sansa head. I really want to see him have a clear framework for moving forward with rugby in 2021 and beyond. And just to make sure that the, the decisiveness that we saw, particularly with uh, Rob Clark navigating with Hamish McLennan this really, really difficult time that they had when they came into the roles. Um, I want to see that continue because I've liked what we've had over the last kind of six or nine months. It hasn't been easy. It hasn't all been perfect, 
but I just want to see that decisiveness within the leadership moving forward. So we'll see how it goes, but he doesn't have an easy job and he has some pretty big boots to fill and a lot of people to impress considering (laughs) his role previously. Uh, Why don't we move on now to the broadcast team announcement for Nine slash Stan. So there's some pretty big names that are getting bandied around for the new broadcast team. I think there's going to be a welcome refresh. Um, So Brett, you're joining the Stan broadcast team. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> look they've got my number <laughs> brilliant I'm, I'm certainly open to offers uh yeah look we've not, i've not seen an, an official announcement but certainly there's some of the reports and some of the names that have been mentioned um uh, are quite encouraging I, I think um uh nick mccardo coming back as a as a host is a i think yeah. is a great move and, and i think that was um his popularity within the game was highlighted by the outpouring of support and goodwill um, when he when he was moved on from from Fox Sports, and I'm just I'm just glad to see him coming back to um, uh, to rugby in some shape or form because he's just too nice a bloke to be perfectly <laughs> honest. He is he is genuinely genuinely one of the one of the great uh, one of the nice blokes, Nick McCardle. and um, I think they've been a little bit smart night in they'll be they'll be wanting to make sure that they've got a different sound to Fox mm. Sports. Um, They'll want experience though as well, and so in going with Sean Maloney, they'll yes, it's a slightly Fox Sports sound because obviously Sean he did his his apprenticeship and 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 covered the game quite extensively for Fox Sports, but he's been out of out from them now for what, eighteen months or so. Mm. He will also, I think, um, be the sort of sound that will endear him to a Channel Nine audience. Yeah, I think yep. so. I think that's a really clever, uh, really clever idea to, to put him up front there. Andrew Swain is another name that's been mentioned there. People would know him as the voice of Shoot Shield football uh, football in, in Sydney, behind the scenes and executive producer for, for Fox Sports, um, commentator in his own right. He called the uh, the Argentina-New Zealand game late last year as well. He's a really, really good commentator, fantastic rugby bloke. Um, and again, I'm just really happy to see him still being involved in rugby. So, you know, from a few of the names that we've seen so far, I think um, I think nine have, have started pretty well. So with what I've read, uh, those three people that you named have been confirmed. We also have Tim Horan, who's come across as a panellist, and Drew Mitchell as well has yeah. been confirmed as being on a team. Yeah. Um, not not entirely surprising there again. I think, I, think, I think Drew Mitchell, being a slightly younger demographic, will sort of appeal to the Channel 9 audience. Um, and Tim Horan's a good operator. They're going to need... Yep probably a, a, a Brisbane voice um, and you know not the first time Tim's switched he started with Channel 7 before he jumped to Fox Sports <laughs> so uh, yeah good to good to see you'll be good to know he's still bumping around in, bumping in, into him at, um, at footy games this year. So Mitch we have two other names which are not confirmed and they are Alana Ferguson who's a former Gillaroo she's played rugby sevens and has been a regular uh, broadcast member of the league team on Channel 9. And we also have Sonny Bill Williams, who has been touted as a possible uh, member. It, for him, it depends upon his playing future, whether he's going to be t- uh, rejoining league after next surgery or taking up a boxing career. Um, so he's a bit of a maybe. But Mitch, what were you thinking about those two names, Alana Ferguson and Sonny Bill Williams? I've got to be honest, I don't know too much about Alana Ferguson, but she is that um, that female with experience that we have mentioned in the past that we would like to see on that panel to, add, to bring in a different sort of perspective, just change things up a little bit. Uh, definitely different to what Fox Sports was sort of offering up at the end there. Uh, Sonny Bill Williams, I've said in the past as well, I'm not too keen on. 
me personally, I just don't think that he fits kind of the Australian rugby um, landscape all that well. I mean, he will fit the league landscape and he will potentially bring some people across, which could be smart, but I just don't think he's going to bring the sort of analysis that they need in a, in that kind of role. If anything, I can see him sort of just being that probably sideline commentator who just interjects every now and then. Um, But apart from that, I really don't see him bringing anything too insightful into it. Well, I mean, I, I just think back to a lot of the league commentary teams and you look at people like Gordon Tallis and he does not bring, in my opinion, in my humble opinion, I don't rate any of the analytical commentary that he provides at all, but he's just an ex great of the game that people, many people really love. And I see that with Sonny Bill Williams. He's an incredibly popular figure. He's very marketable. There newsline after newsline follows him and for a lot of the right reasons nowadays. And so I think that what Channel 9 are doing, which is really smart with Alana Ferguson and Sonny B. Williams, is they're trying to bring some of the current league commentary team or well-known league figures across onto the new commentary team for Union so that they're trying to expand their audience base and get it out of just that, that regular group of kind of Upper North Shore private school blazer and chino wearing boys, boys club. I mean, you look at Sean Maloney, Nick McCuddle, Tim Horan, Andrew Swain, Drew Mitchell, they're all white men. Mm. So having at the very least Alana and Sonny Bill Williams is something slightly different. And yeah. I actually think they need more. I am not, my, my thought about this was I like a lot of what I'm seeing, but I'm also not seeing diversity. And I don't want diversity just for diversity's sake, although that is a good thing. Um, I want it because it will broaden the appeal and the potential audience base of the game. Plus, there are so many different voices that we need to make sure we're hearing within rugby. And I'm, I just I don't want rugby to stay like white and private school. Mm. The, que- the, que- the question there and, and the issue there, I suppose, is going to be that as, as much as rugby is trying to broaden its base from a playing, supporting point of view, trying to find the right mix of experience and diversity mm. is a pretty narrow market. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I understand exactly what you're saying. I don't have any ready, any names that I can readily throw up. As a, I've as said a Morgan Tiranui in the past. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, yeah. That'd and be my be, main one. And would be, would be, would be a, a great analyst, no doubt about it. Um, um, you know, look, Alana Ferguson, I actually know was a broadcaster before I knew, but I didn't know much about a playing background at all. Um, but she's a really good broadcaster, so I actually think she'll do a really good job up front. I'm with you, Mitch, on on Sunny Bill. I'm I'm skeptical at best. Yeah. Yep. Uh, just based on what you hear from him, even in interviews, even in one on one interviews, yeah. that are you know designed to be fluffy and feel feel good. I I just don't. No, but I absolutely agree that what they're trying to do is make their rugby commentary appealing or known enough so that their regular Friday night sport audience might be tempted to go, oh, what is actually on nine on a Saturday night? Mm. Um, And, I mean, (laughs) there's a fairly major assumption in that, in in that they're still trying to cater for an audience that only picks up their free-to-air TV remote on a Saturday night and surfs channels because there's not too many people that watch TV like that anymore. Nope. Netflix. That's, that's <laughs> well, how I do it. Stan. <laughs> yep. Stan for exactly yeah. that reason. So, yep. um, yeah, look, it's, it, 
on one hand, I think they're doing the right thing and, and, and trying to cater for their audience. But at the same time, you know, our viewing habits have changed massively, even just in the last few years. So trying to build a commentary around viewing habits that are 20 years old, effectively old, you know, 50 years old, realistically, mm. um, I think is a, is a little bit fraught with danger these days. Yeah, and I think a good sort of question to ask is this is the first year that they've got the rights to to rugby and will be on Channel 9 on free-to-air. Is this the, the point where they should be trying to bring in new viewers or do we really, mm. as rugby fans, expect them just to set a good base, put a good new platform out there, some new analysis, maybe some new camera angles, that kind of thing, build a good product first oh. and then we can start to push um, new viewers through bringing in those league sort of cross um, reference people like maybe someone like sort of Matty Johns would be uh, uh, not Matty Johns. Um, I just had a, a mind blank, but uh, Matt, Matt Rogers, the, yeah, Matt Rogers, that's it. Yep. Um, bringing a player like Matt Rogers in a few years' mm. time just to, to bring that analysis of both sides of the game would be, yeah, potentially. Well. Look, I, I, I think, I, I think just their, their, their network, uh, or just their, their coverage share that nine could, could pick up Fox Sports model from last year, from 2020, and replicate it directly in 2021, and they'll get a bigger audience straight away. Just that's just the that's that's just the size of the mm-hmm. uh, of the networks. It's entirely possible that could happen because there actually aren't too many live broadcasting companies out there in Australia. Fox didn't do it; they contracted them out. Nine won't do it; they'll contract someone out as well. It's entirely possible Nine could contract exactly the same company that did it for Fox Sports over the last 25 years. So it may in fact look exactly the same, but it will definitely be in front of more eyeballs uh, on a Saturday night at the very least. One of the things that's been mentioned is a potential for a midweek show. Uh, So Mm. kind of like the footy show, but for union. I love that (laughs) idea. I love there being something on like a Wednesday or a Thursday night. That's just maybe that level of Sean Maloney, irreverent humor combined with Drew Mitchell calling up some of his European two-on teammates um, and just having some really good quality chats with opportunities for analysis too. Yeah, but I reckon I reckon they've got to get the mixture right between the footy show and proper game preview. Like, yeah. like I think I think there's got to be uh, they they can't just assume that what works well for league and what works well for cricket and what works well for tennis. There, I say it is going to marry over to, to rugby. I think they've got to treat it as a different sport and they've got to think about it differently. Um, so, if it's going to be just another podcast style show, then, you know, there's, there's already, you know, dozens of them around the, around the world um, that we can all watch, including this very one. Um, So I I don't necessarily, if it's going to be that, I'm not overly fussed about that, but if it's going to be some, a a bit of insight as to, you know, why this particular set play from the Reds against the Brumbies defense rush defense actually worked the other night, then I'm all ears for that. Um, Mm. And I think that's what we've, really lacked in Fox sports coverage the last couple of years as their, as their interest has quite clearly dropped off. Have you ever watched the breakdown, the New Zealand um, show? That's brilliant. I love that. Yeah. I I catch that from, from time to time and, and, Mm. and clips from it quite regularly. And, and I think they actually get the, the mix, right. Um, They, they get that mix, right. Of talking about the issues in the game. They have a bit of fun around the sidelines and all that, but they do actually pick out, um, some things that are worth delving deeper in, deeper into and, and, and discussing it in the way it deserves to be discussed. 
Well, we have a few more points we should jump onto considering we only have Brett for a limited amount of time. Now, there's a couple of international things I'd love to chat through. Um, the first one is our rejected Sanzar partners, South Africa, have made the fateful decision to be moving north. So the Pro 14 for one year is not going to be called the Pro 14, is going to be called the Rainbow Cup. So basically... The four Super Rugby or South African Super Rugby teams, so the Bulls, the Sharks, the Stormers, and the Lions, are all heading north to join the Pro 14. The Cheetahs and the Southern Kings are getting kicked out and sent into the wilderness. And what's well, going to be happening... The Kings have already Savannah, gone into liquidation, so they're gone. Yeah, true, yeah. true. Good point. <laughs> um, and so what's going to be happening is basically starting in April, it's an eight-week competition. Um, you have the 16 teams, which will be split into pools of eight, um, divided up equally between the provinces. One game against each pool member and then the top of each pool faces each other in a final on the 19th of june so it's just for one year but the reality is it's probably good as if everything goes okay it's going to be ratified and be the structure of like a pro 16 or something mm. pro, yeah pro 16 moving forward yeah yeah so, yeah um, if, I, if it if it goes ahead like that if it goes ahead if like it goes that. ahead like that and um yeah like that the the cheaters and kings didn't and haven't played in in this current Pro 14 season at all. It's yep. just been played as a 12-turn competition, effectively. Um, there's been games cancelled. I think there's been a game around cancelled for about the last six weeks. Yep. Um, the Pro 14, like the Premiership, like the top, top top 14 in France, like the Champions Cup and Challenge Cup, are, yep. are all in questionable positions right at this point in time there's 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 discussions now about the six nations as to whether it mm-hmm. needs to be played in in one location over the course of six weeks um yeah look i i i hope the rainbow cup gets off the ground yeah mitch what would some of your thoughts when you saw this news that they'd confirmed their move up north well it's something that's been rumored for a while and i i can't say i'm too surprised um we thought this is where south africa was going the only issue that it does throw up to me is they will be aligning their Super Rugby site or their um, Rainbow Nation Cup um, or Rainbow Cup teams with a European-based playing schedule, yet also committing to play in the Rugby Championships down mm. here, their national side. So that offers up a real issue, whether they what pull their Springbok players out of that Nations Cup to come and play against the Wallabies in New Zealand, New Zealand down here in the Southern Hemisphere, or they expect them to sort of play both and then end up effectively playing 11 or like 10 or 11 months of the year. It's Mm. got some real questions that we're not quite sure how in practice, like practically how it will will happen and run. Um, But I guess on the, on the flip side, we haven't seen much South African rugby at all this year. So it's definitely good to see these teams going to be going somewhere and actually playing international Mm. rugby. So yeah, a bit, bit of both on either side little bit skeptical as to seeing how it will actually work, but good to see that South Africa is participating in an international tournament again. The, the, the Curry Cup has, is still going. It's, it's still being played at the moment. Like the final is due to be played maybe last weekend of January, maybe the first weekend of February might be. Yeah. Um, but they've had games that they've had huge issues with um, COVID within squads and games being cancelled and, uh, and all that sort of thing throughout the Curry Cup. So I think that whole plan could work for 2021 how it works in 2022 assuming that vaccines and things like that start taking effect and and the world starts forming coming back to some sort of degree of 
normality in the back half of 21 so that a 21-22 Pro 16 competition could get off the ground reasonably well, then you're going to have that situation where South African players who aren't in the box will be playing professional rugby or club rugby um, from when about September till about May. And then how are they supposed to keep fit for the box playing in the rugby championship in the back half of the year? That's going to be the, the question for me. And maybe this is where, maybe that's where the Curry Cup comes into it. One of the talking points about the Pro 14 over the last year or two, actually, but basically since its existence has really been the viability of it as a competition. Uh, there are so many people that decry or talk it down because realistically you only have a couple of teams that are any chance of actually winning the competition every year. Leinster's been dominating it for the last few years. The Welsh teams are an absolute joke, except for the Scarlets about three or four years ago, mm. um, had a really good run. And so when you're just introducing four for Northern Hemisphere audiences, unknown quantities in the form of these South African super teams, there's a question about whether or not the Pro 14 is just going to have any type of opportunity to develop the rivalries, to develop the tribalism that's really needed to make a competition successful. And I mean, South Africa have had to pay, I think it was 10 million pounds for their four teams to get into mm. this competition. That's up from the 6 million to have the Cheetahs and the Southern Kings in. And I just am not sure whether it's long, a, long, a good long-term deal or whether they're just trying to leverage this so that they can squeeze or crowbar their way into the Six Nations competition at, in mm. the next couple of years. Um, I, I understand a lot of the reasons why they've made this choice to go north. It, it makes sense in a lot of ways. And, I mean, New Zealand basically forced their hand as well. Uh, but I'm just not sure if it's actually a sustainable competition model. Um, yeah. I don't think there's any real connection between the Irish, between the Welsh and the South African teams. I don't care. An, an Irish, uh, a Welsh rugby fan does not really care about the club scene in South Africa. They care about South African players playing in, playing in a Welsh jersey though. They do. <laughs> so that's a different thing entirely. <laughs> yeah. no, look, I, I, think, I think you're spot on. And, and there's, there's no doubt to me that what the, the Celtic League will be, will be looking for is uh, extra revenue coming coming to the competition as a whole out of South Africa uh, in terms of broadcast money and mm -hmm. potentially sponsorship. And that ultimately the competition does strengthen um, to the point where it becomes of interest to private equity. No doubt at all. That's what they're fishing for. Mitch, any final thoughts before we move on? Uh, yeah. I'm just interested to see what ends up happening. I don't really know which way it'll go at the moment. Cool. Well, it impacts um, the, well, all, all the talk about the Northern Hemisphere rugby competition really brings us nicely to the Lions tour. So as we all know, the British and Irish Lions are meant to be touring South Africa. And supposedly the reason why they didn't join in this uh, rugby championship was because they didn't have enough game time under their belt. Cough, cough, Argentina. Um, but we really are now getting to the point where there's doubts about whether the Lions tour is going to be able to go ahead because of the state of South Africa and the COVID situation there. Not even to talk about the state of England and the British Isles and how messed up almost all of Europe is in the second or third or fourth, whatever it is, wave of COVID over there. Things are really bad in Europe. I think sometimes we forget because we're in Australia how good our situation is compared to large parts of the world. Um, so... There's large, there's significant doubts that the tour is going to go ahead. There have been some suggestions or even just fantasy daydreams by people just 
just just putting the idea out there of like what if they did a tour of France instead um, and basically just played all the French provincial teams before then playing the French national team. So there's a, there are a few options there. But Mitch, when you heard this news, what, how did you, how did you respond? Uh, yeah, I I don't at the current time. I don't really think it, it probably will be called off. I don't see it going ahead. I don't think by the time that it's scheduled to go ahead um, to happen that they will have a vaccine out and readily available enough to make it viable um, to tour South Africa. So unfortunately, I do think it will be cancelled. I I don't know what the alternative will be. I've seen some rumors that well, people are suggesting that they could come to Australia as an option. I've seen other people suggest that they should go down and play um, New Zealand again, considering the last time they went, it was a draw. So I don't know. All I've heard is that they're going to make a decision in the next few weeks, um, whether they go ahead or they don't. Um, I mean, I, I would, I want to see it happen. I would love to see a, a Lions series. It's like one of the best pinnacles of rugby. It's such a unique thing to our sport. Um, outside the World Cup, there's not really any other sport that does something like this. So, yeah, I'd love to see it go ahead in whatever capacity they can. Brett? I think the question is going to be um, around just how much broadcast and sponsorship money it can actually bring in because the chances of it being played in front of crowds um, are almost minimal, um, in which case, you know, if you if the touring element of a tour can't take place, you absolutely have to question what the, what the point of it is. Um, I actually think there's more chance of the series being played in the UK right now than there is of it being played in South Africa. I think that that's something that they will look long and hard at, uh, particularly now that the vaccine is rolling out um, in, in, in the UK and, and Great Britain as a whole. So uh, I, I think there's more chance of that. I think it would be easier logistically to get South Africa to get a decent sized South African squad into the UK and play the Lions as a home series under fairly obvious um, <laughs> circumstances uh, than there would be to try and get, you know, 45 players, a touring squad of probably 60 or 70 people all up, um, trying to keep them safe in the bottom of Africa in mm. the, where, the, where the situation at the moment is. Um, grim at, at best. I, I, I just, I, I'm with you. I, and I've had my doubts about this tour going ahead for probably six months, I have to admit. Um, um, and look, we'll see what the, I, I suppose we'll see what, how serious some of the options are. I, I heard, I, I saw an idea thrown up the other day of, of playing a test in Australia, a test in New Zealand and a test in Japan um, as a, as an alternate. Um, if, if they can't get to South Africa or can't get South Africa to UK. I mean, as a fallback, that's not a bad option, I suppose, but it would depend on, again, what the crowd situation is like. And even Japan at the moment is, um, is, is undergoing a, another, uh, another spike in, in cases and things. Well, speaking to one of those points, if they were to just form a team to play in the British Isles, most of South Africa is already in Britain, in Saracens, in Sale, in Leicester, <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, Leinster, yeah, sorry. Leinster, so at yeah. th those three teams together, you've yeah. got the majority of South African rugby player base. So yeah, th they, they'd have a pretty good team. Don't leave Glasgow out of that. Um, You're that. right. Sorry. Yep. Um, okay, cool. My only thought would be if you want players in, if you want people in the crowd, bring it to Australia and New Zealand because we can actually have people in the stands, but that's not going to happen. That's not going to nah, happen. You're, you're not going to get the touring 
Um, no, you're not going to get the touring Lions fans, no. um, and, and I think without that, um, yeah. there's there's, yeah. there's big question marks. But then, if you push it back a year, the national coaches aren't going to want to have yeah. their um, be without their team a year out from a World yeah. Cup, and it's just going to be impacting on other competitions. Which is which well. is why I think there's more chance of it being played in the UK. Yep. Yep. Okay, cool. There's a couple more things we just got to quickly touch on. So let's do these points quick fire before we finish up with the news. Um, Michael Hooper has won the John Eels medal this year. Taniela Tupo is named a player of the tournament for the rugby championship. Uh, Mitch, what do you say to those people out there that just bag on Michael Hooper game after <laughs> game, swanning out wide with the backs? He's the worst number seven Australian rugby has ever had. What do you say? That's all hearsay. It, it's been proven time and time again that he is the best. He's the Wallabies captain, and he this is a this is a trophy that's appointed by the players. It's not it's not fan votes. So um, it just shows that he is the best and the most worthy of it. Um, you can't say much more than that, really. Do you agree with Tupo being the player of the tournament? Yeah, definitely. Really, he was not- so he was so he was the Wallabies player of the tournament, was he? Yeah, Wallaby's player. Of the oh, I have to admit, I'm a little bit surprised at that. No, <laughs> Super Rugby, Super Rugby. Oh, Super Rugby. Sorry. Yes, Super Rugby, Super Rugby, yeah. Super rugby player of the series. Yeah. He absolutely yeah. was. He, yeah. he definitely wasn't the Wallaby's player no. of the series. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yeah, no, he, he had a, he had a fantastic um, Super Rugby series, and, and it was it was his Super Rugby form that won him starts in the first yeah. couple of Bledisloe tests. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it had a, had a storming series. If you were to name player of the championship, uh, Brett, who would you say just off the top of your head? Oh, Australian player. Well, I think we've probably already done that with, with Hooper because yep. it was really only judged on the Bledisloe and Tri-Nations effectively this year. So mm. I can't really think of anyone that would be maybe Matt Phillip. Yeah, he was going to be my call. He was, he was really good. I was, uh, I was surprised to see Marika Corabetti poll so well. I yep, have to admit, agreed. because I thought he had a disappointing series, but um, Matt Phillip was uh, was excellent. I thought Harry Wilson was pretty good in his first series, um, you know, his first year of professional rugby. Uh, but you can't go past Hooper. He was just so good every week. Yeah. Uh, we also have a couple of other news over in the West. We've got to make sure we talk about our Western brethren before we finish. Uh, so Rugby WA have appointed the new CEO, Nathan Charles. So ex-Force player, ex-Wallaby um, front rower. I went to school with him. He was in a year below me or a couple of years below. Yeah, right. Um, oh, I, I'd, I'd, not, I'd not heard that. That's, a, that's not a bad shout. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So good good call for the CEO of Rugby WA. And also the Western Force have a new CEO, which is a really shrewd acquisition of Tony Lewis over from New Zealand. He's been with, um, what is it, Tasman Mako? Yeah. And yeah. they're just one of the up and coming, actually the dominant provincial team over in um, New Zealand at the moment. So a really shrewd signing. Thoughts on those ones, gentlemen? Uh, I hadn't heard about Nathan Charles, so I'm I'm surprised. I'm a little bit surprised. Uh, not sorry, I'm not surprised. Um, I, I yeah, not heard about that one. But yeah, the, the Tony Lewis one seems like a like a not a bad shout. He's uh, Tasman being the um, the amalgamation of a couple of unions over there, and they've they've gone from you know not existing to being you know right up there with you know can- pushing Canterbury. In fact, Canterbury didn't have a great ITM Cup this year at all. So um, yeah, Tasmania uh, Tasman. Tasmania. Tasman have had a, a couple of um, a couple of really strong minor ten cups over the last couple of years. So yeah, that's not a bad. Um, that's uh, that could be a could be a shrewd call, I think. 
Mitch, anything to add? Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to see both of these guys appointed. I think they're both well-deserved and good candidates for the role. It'll be interesting to see how they um, they work together because yeah. one being the the state-based head of rugby in in Western Australia, Nathan Charles, and then the private equity that is the Western Force. So two separate entities working. You would imagine they both want to align and do the best for rugby in the in the state. Mm. Um, but then the private ownership uh, definitely uh, put some questions forward to see how, how much they can work together and that kind of thing. But hopefully it goes well. Pretty sure they're in the same building. So you would hope that they can work pretty well. <laughs> you would hope so. so. You would hope so. But um, the, the New South Wales has shown that it doesn't work all that well. <laughs> yeah, touche. <laughs> all right. Well, why don't we finish things up there? Um, Brett, right before we let you go, can you just give us your predictions for the rankings for the Super Rugby AU season? If you're to oh. put your... Put your money down on one through to five right now without yeah. seeing all the confirmed squads. Who's yeah. first? Who's last? Yeah, in the uh, in the second week of January. Yeah, um, yeah. That's what what can, we got to do? What can possibly go wrong? Um, seeing <laughs> a couple of squads. A <laughs> what can go wrong? Uh, seeing a couple of the squads, I don't think there's going to be. I think it's actually going to be pretty similar to last year. I, I don't think there's going to be much between the Brumbies and Reds uh, and probably the Rebels, but you've got to, this isn't going to clarify anything at all, um, but the force are going to be very, very good. They've, they, their recruitment is, um, you know, argue, <laughs> there's an argument that their recruitment has been the best in professional rugby internationally. There's, there, there wouldn't be too many, sides in Europe even uh, or Japan that have added the calibre of player that the force have managed to pull in. Um, for, for London Irish have done so, quite well. Yeah, this is, this, is, this is true. Bristol have done all right, yeah. I suppose. But yeah, um, no, I agree. But, but yeah, pulling in, what is it, five, six current Argentinian test yeah. players, um, you know, Rob Carney from from Ireland coming out for a, for a year at the back end of his, his career is going to be Great, but it's fantastic to see them. They're bringing back the likes of um, Jake McIntyre from uh, from from his couple of years over in over in Europe as well. Um, there's going to be there's going to be a lot of I think long term force players and and force well known force players even from 2020 will struggle to get a game. Yeah, in 21. So so they are going to be really really strong. Oh, the Waratahs are going to be by some distance number five. This year, I think That's the way they've hurtful, Brett. Oh, I'm sorry to say, it, mate. Come on, <laughs> I'm sorry to say it. Um, they've they've shed a lot of experienced players. They've not spent anywhere near the salary cap, and I mean, I'm not even sure we can call them in a rebuilding year because they're still trying to lay the foundations before they can build something on top of that. Um, okay. So, yeah, we can rule out the Waratahs next year, but at this early point in time, there's probably not a lot between the other four teams. Mitch. Um, Actually, we're going to pause this there. Brett, why don't we say thank you so much and we'll continue our chat as we go because I know that you've got to finish up. Yeah. Um, So, mate, thank you so much for coming on board and yet again coming and having a chat and just bringing us, like I said before, your expertise onto our (laughs) topics. (laughs) No, you're you're welcome. No, it's always always good to have a chat Um, and I suppose it's rapidly nearing the point where we've got to start 
thinking about this again. Yeah. Um, I had to, I had to very hurriedly on my last day of, of work before Christmas and my last day before when the holidays had to very ra- rapidly get super rugby accreditations in uh, uh, because they close, I think end of this week or end of next week, maybe. Um, so I was going to be away. So I've had, I had to rush and I've just seen the, uh, the reminder emails come around now. So I'm, I'm very glad I got that done, but yeah, that's the sign that, Things aren't too far away. Yeah. It's about one month, one month and a week from today. And then the yes, season indeed. kicks off. Yep. Feb 19, is that right? Yeah, 19 or 17. I can't remember. Yeah, that's, that's closer than we realise. Isn't yeah. it? <laughs> yeah, no, no, enjoy it, guys. Thank you. Thanks, Brett. Awesome. Have a wonderful night, mate. Good on you. Talk to you soon. Bye. All right, Mitch, over to you, my friend. So if you're to rank... One to five. Wait, are you still? Oh, we're still recording. Cool. Yeah, we're still Go. going, mate. Still yeah, going. Good, good, Come on. Good. Uh, uh, so one, one to five. five. Um, so I think the Reds are going to take it out this year. Uh, last year they they were good. Uh, the Brumbies were better, but they were they were close. That last game of the regular season where they actually got on top of the Brumbies um, at home shows that they've got that ability to do it. And they were close the first time they played as well during the season. They've got a fairly similar squad next year. They haven't had too many ins or outs, um, but we, I guess I don't need to go through it too intently. We will Not get to that intently. as we, we'll um, get there. we get there. So yeah, Reds for the first one, Brumby's coming second, I'm really not sure around these next two. I think these could be interchangeable, the Force or the Rebels. Um, at this stage, I think it's probably going to be the the Western Force will be third. Yeah, okay. um, the Rebels will be fourth. And then the Waratahs, unfortunately, will be coming at the bottom of the table. Yeah, I'd be agreeing with that. Aside from I've got the Brumbies and Reds. So one and two Brumbies, um, then Reds, then Rebels, Force and Tars. Um, I think that, but for me, the Rebels and the Force, like you, are interchangeable. I'm not sure where they're going to sit. Um, part of me thinks that the Rebels are just going to choke, as they so often do. And that the Force are just going to have just a level of quality that many of the other teams don't. I mean, the Rebels have some stars, but I mean, Corabetti's not around anymore. Mm. So who's going to be doing the game-breaking plays for the Rebels nowadays? Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of hard sitting here in the first few weeks of January sort of making these predictions without seeing any kind of form. You could say on paper that the Western Force look like they're going to be a really good side, but they're pulling, they're a barbarians team. They're pulling players yep. from all over the world Correct. Um, with not a great deal of preparation. So we, they may come together and just not be able to gel. It's not even just bringing players in from um, South Africa, Australia, and New Zealand. There's Argentinians and Irish players in there. Um, the language barrier might be a big thing too. So we may expect them to do quite well and they just don't. It's still a relative new side in terms of coaching structures and that kind of thing as well so again not too sure the rebels haven't performed as well as we would hope in the last few years either so again interchangeable well why don't we finish things off there my friend it has been an absolute pleasure to chat with you tonight and thank you again to brett for joining us um Everybody, over the next couple of weeks, like we mentioned earlier in the pod, we are going to be having our Super Rugby AU preview series coming out. One episode per team. So look out for the next five. Well, we don't have... Well, yeah, we do have, have five, five weeks. Do we have, we have five, five weeks? weeks? Yeah, we do. I don't know. Oh, we'll maybe get them out by... We'll do the maths. We'll get them out math. before the start of the season. And... I'm pretty excited in that we seem to have some opportunities to have some additional bonus content come out before the season starts as well. So keep your ears and eyes peeled for what is coming for you. Thank you everybody for your support and have a wonderful evening. Bye. Bye.